We are in the middle of a study of Paul's letter to Timothy. And if you remember, this is what's known as a pastoral letter. And there are several topics that will come up in this letter that um, are a little unusual. We, if I were preaching a, a gospel or another letter, we, we wouldn't come across some of these topics. But uh, in God's providence, because we're teaching through First Timothy, we're going to hit a few things that are, that are interesting. And uh, this text this morning, to be honest with you, is very offensive to contemporary Western culture. And so before we begin, uh, I just want to make two general comments. The first is this. I believe the Bible is God's word. I believe that the Bible in its original manuscripts is completely without error and without fault. And that includes our text for today. And so I believe that what we're about to read is what God wants us to know and how God wants us to live in spite of what our culture may say about this topic. Second, I want to say as a, as a preface, I believe that the Bible's view of women is far better than the world's view of women. Contemporary Western culture is currently seeking to destroy any distinction between male and female. Gender is becoming meaningless. But the Bible teaches that God actually created men and women different on purpose. God sees men and women as equal in value, but he has given us different roles to play in creation. Now, what's interesting is 2,000 years ago, that, what I just said, was radical and progressive teaching. Okay, so you have to understand, when the Bible was written, the world did not value women. There was no culture on the earth at that time that saw women as equally valuable as men. In fact, the early church was very attractive to women because of the way they were being treated by Christian men. Because it was so radical. And I would argue that many of the positive advancements of women in society today are because of the Bible's influence not in spite of it. But you're going to have to make a decision. Will you accept the Bible's view of gender or this current culture's view of gender? Did God design men and women differently on purpose? Do we have different roles to fill assigned by God or... Should we reject the Bible's view and embrace the view of the world? That's the choice, and our text is going to force that choice on you today. Uh, 
I'm only going to make a few brief comments as we read, and I want to say, and at the end, I'm kind of we'll take it as a whole. But let me just go on record as saying I I, I want to be uh, available if you've got questions, concerns, if you want more details. I, I can't in 25 minutes unpack every possible thing there is to say about this topic, and I know that. So give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm available if you'd like to talk about this further. Okay, Verse 8. This is chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So in other words, he says, pray for the sake of prayer, not as an excuse to get together and argue about other things. And so he's teaching about public worship, and he's saying worship should be peaceful and orderly. Okay? Verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So notice that Paul addresses women as a whole in the churches. Okay, He's not talking to a specific group of women. He's speaking to all Christian women. And he instructs Christian women to dress with modesty. Some people have read this and have taken it as an absolute command against ever styling your hair or wearing any jewelry of any kind. I don't see it that way. I read it more as a command against trying to dress like the world or to draw attention to yourself in public. In defense of that view, I would suggest Revelation 21 verse 2 where the glorified church is described as a bride adorned for her husband beautifully. Okay, so that's obviously not a wrong thing to do. But the emphasis is on her character, her godliness, her works, and not on her appearance. There's a lot more I could say about that verse. I'm choosing to focus on verse 11, so we're going to move on. Okay, but if you want to talk about it, let me know. All right, verse 11, it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay, so there it is. Take a deep breath. Consider what Paul is saying. Okay. The context here is public ministry of the church. And Paul is forbidding women to publicly teach men or to have authority over men. And there have been numerous attempts in the past 60 or 70 years to try and limit the scope of this command or to explain it away somehow. Most commonly, it is suggested that Paul is only talking about a specific problem in this church or in this culture, the Ephesian culture. But I would say that possibility is completely eliminated by the very next verse, which says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, no doubt about it, the Apostle Paul would have been canceled by 21st century um, people, right? Um, this This just does not fly in today's world. But I want you to notice what he's doing. He is defending his prohibition of women teaching in the church or having authority in the church on the grounds of creation and specifically the gender roles that were established by God in creation. So he's not appealing to a specific culture or practice or group of people who are distorting something. He's talking about this is how God made things. This is how he made us. He's actually using a similar argument in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul does in that passage allow women to pray or to prophesy in public worship. That's a separate discussion we can also have. But he also says they're only under the authority of men. And there also he refers to the creation of Adam and Eve. And then in 1 Corinthians 14 he says this. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, not just Ephesus, not just Corinth. He says, in all the churches, the women should should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So clearly, this is not something that Paul meant only for Ephesus. Instead, Paul understands, and what he's saying is that God created men and women differently, on purpose, and that God does not allow women to teach or have authority over men in the church. And that God has been very consistent on this issue. He's citing the Old Testament law. He has twice mentioned creation. And so it's clear to the Apostle Paul that this is what God wants for his church. And what I want you to understand is that in in my view, from my perspective, the perspective of our elders, this isn't really open to debate. I know that some churches and some denominations in the past 70 years have started to ordain women. But those churches and those denominations have a lower view of the Bible than we do. They will tell you straight up that they believe the Apostle Paul is wrong about this. I've heard people say that to me. Paul is wrong, they will say. And what that means is that being in favor of women's ordination is essentially the same thing as denying the authority of the Bible. So let me clarify. I'm talking about, and I believe the Apostle Paul is talking specifically about women serving as pastors or elders. Okay, Those are the offices of teaching and authority in the New Testament. 
And there are no examples of female pastors or elders in the New Testament. There are also no examples of female priests in the Old Testament, which would be the Old Testament counterpart of those offices. Now, it's often cited that there are some examples of female leaders in the Bible, and that is absolutely true. The Bible does permit women to exercise leadership gifts in the church, but it does not permit women's ordination. The Bible does not permit women to publicly teach men or to hold authority over men. Okay? And I think it's worth mentioning again, this has only become an issue in the last 70 years because our specific culture is making it an issue. The denominations that practice women's ordination are to a a one, all of them are in rapid decline. By contrast, the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the vast majority of Protestant churches around the world and throughout history, we all understand that Scripture forbids this. This is not a debate in the African churches or the South American churches or the Asian churches like it is here. It is only a debate, really, for some American and European churches who have a weaker view of the Bible. They are giving in to pressure from the culture to destroy God's creative distinction between men and women. That's why this is difficult for us. Because of the culture that we're currently a part of. Okay? And what I want to suggest is that this is a much bigger problem than just the issue of whether or not women should serve as pastors or elders. Paul could have easily said, I do not permit women to be elders. He doesn't say less than that. What he says is actually more than that. Okay, so it's not just about being excluded from an office. It's about the function of the office. He specifically forbids women to teach or have authority over men. In other words, I don't even want you to act like a pastor or an elder in the context of the church. And so there's no loophole here for us to be practicing that without maybe giving the title or something. And so what this is really about is it's about God, we believe, the Bible teaches, that God assigns us a gender at birth and that God decides what that means for us. What our purpose will be in the family, what our purpose will be in the church, And we need, obviously, a biblical theology of ordination. But more than that, we need a biblical theology of manhood and womanhood. And I actually believe this is kind of crucial right now for us to establish and understand what the Bible teaches. Scripture teaches that God created us, male and female, as complementary expressions of His image. Okay, so what I mean by that is men and women 
reflect truth about God and His world together in ways that men or women alone could not. And that's not a traditional idea or a southern cultural idea. It's a reality that transcends culture because men and women express this reality in literally every culture throughout history. We didn't come up with this. Now, to be clear, Scripture does not teach that women, or that men, sorry, are superior to women. Scripture does not teach that men rank higher than women in the eyes of God, or that women are second class creations, okay? According to the Bible, men and women are created and are completely and fully equal in the eyes of God. Equally valuable, equally necessary in the way He has ordered creation. But men and women were also created to fill two distinct roles, specifically in the family and in the church. Men have been given the responsibility by God of headship in those two areas, okay? And when I say the word headship, I'm not talking about a 1950s sitcom or an excuse for patriarchal oppression or whatever that word conjures up. Instead, the Bible describes headship as being the first to serve, the first to sacrifice. And Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians 5 that God designed men and women this way for a much greater purpose than we may realize. What he's teaching in Ephesians 5, which we're going to read in just a moment, is that our design as men and women, as husbands and wives, actually carries gospel intent. It helps communicate the gospel in a way that we wouldn't receive it otherwise. Okay, so this is Ephesians 5. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you also love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul gives this really long, detailed illustration And he's talking about marriage, 
But more than that, he's talking about God's design specifically for men and women. And then even more than that, he says, I'm really talking about Jesus and the church. I'm really talking about the gospel. And so wrapped up in how God created men and women and what he intends for marriage between a man and a woman is this idea of what he intends for us to understand about Jesus the Savior and the church, his bride. And if we reject what Paul says here, then we are rejecting God's purpose in the family and in the church. This is meaningful theology that we cast aside when we choose to accept the world's lack of distinction between men and women. So what I'm describing here, um, if you want to do more research on this, it's, it's known as complementarianism, which is the historic Christian perspective on gender. And I want to conclude by reading, I'm going to share a lengthy quote. This is by a Christian lady named Mary Cassian. And I completely agree with what she says here. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can read along with me. She says, essentially, a complementarian is a person who believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. She says, complementarians believe that males were designed to shine the spotlight on Christ's relationship to the church and the Lord God's relationship to Christ in a way that females cannot. And that females were designed to shine the spotlight on the church's relationship to Christ and Christ's relationship to the Lord God in a way that, in a way that males cannot. So she says, who we are as male and female is ultimately not about us. It's about testifying to the story of Jesus. We do not get to dictate what manhood and womanhood are all about. Our creator does. And that's the basis of complementarianism. And then she says this. She says, if you hear someone tell you that complementarity means you have to get married, have dozens of babies, be a stay-at-home housewife, clean toilets, completely forego a career, Check your brain, tolerate abuse, watch Leave It to Beaver reruns, bury your gifts, deny your personality, and bobblehead yes to everything men say. Don't believe her. That is a straw woman misrepresentation. It's not complementarianism. And I completely agree. Okay? But what I want to suggest to you in closing is this what we are really fighting against is not a culture that promotes women, but a culture that promotes self. That's really what this is about. I'm going to say that again, okay? The world is not defending women. It's not. You cannot convince me that what the world is trying to do on this issue is defend women. Instead, what it's defending is self. The world can't even define the word woman anymore without offending someone. That's a problem. 
What the world is defending is the false idea that people can be whoever they want to be. And it's if you want to believe that, okay, but that is not the Bible's view of the world. It's just not. The Bible says that we don't have the right to define or to decide some things about who we are. And rejecting who God says we are doesn't actually make us happier or healthier as a society. Just look at the statistics that that are available on people who are gender confused. It's very, very clear that this isn't making us happier. It's making everything worse. And thankfully, our Creator has every intention of putting things back where they belong. That includes... All the ways in which women have been hurt and devalued by men throughout history. That has absolutely happened. That has absolutely been true, even in the church, to our shame. Okay? But we are not going to solve this problem by blurring the lines between genders. That's not the solution. Jesus is going to solve the problem through grace And truth by fiercely loving his bride, the church, which includes all of us who, by faith, are part of God's church, men and women. So that's the best I can do with this topic. I hope it's been honoring to God. If you have questions, please let me know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Above all things, I thank you that you have loved us in such a way that you pursued us even in our sin, even when we have chased after false gods, even when we have questioned and doubted our Creator. And Father, I know that because of the culture we live in, this is a difficult concept for some and I pray that you would be gracious ultimately none of our hearts will change without your help and so we pray for that we ask you to give us a clearer picture of who you want us to be who you created us to be in your image help us to be better men and women not for our sakes not for our own purposes, but because you are our creator, because you have given us a purpose in this world, you've put us here for a reason, we pray that you would be glorified. If we're wrong, Lord Jesus, help us to see it. Help us to trust you, myself included. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.